Chapter Nine of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Nine: The Culture College. Lady Scardale had certainly been fortunate in the site she had found for her culture college. It was within sight of the river. It was close to the physic garden. Originally, it had been several houses that is to say it had been the stately old house with several modern smaller houses clustering around it lady scardale had been lucky enough to get the whole place and had so altered and improved it as to make it one of the wonders of the neighbourhood she pulled down the small houses she made additions to the stately old house she ran all the various gardens into one which was laid out with such skill that it actually seemed rather a park than a large garden. It really was an exceedingly large garden for London, even for Chelsea, where large gardens do still linger, and moreover the physic garden was just across the road, so that the fair collegians of the Culture College had no lack of fresh air, of trees and grass to lighten their labours and preserve their health all around the culture college ran a high wall which gave to its green garden a delightful air of scholastic almost monastic seclusion but there was nothing at all gloomy about the seclusion of the garden of the culture college at any time and on this particular afternoon of late april it was looking very cheerful indeed for this was the day of the celebration at the culture college to which gerald aspen had been bidden and of which lady scardale had reminded captain raven on the previous evening when they parted at the door of the voyagers club the day was fortunately fine the month had not been pleasant april seldom is pleasant in england in spite of chaucer's praises and the praises of that latter-day chaucer mr william morris whose song of april's loveliness is exquisite enough to make men forget that the breezes soft that o'er the blossoms of the orchards blow generally blow from the east and are bitter and biting but this particular day was really fine almost like an ideal april day as near perhaps to an ideal april day as london ever gets the air that had so long been wintry had for the first time a suggestion of warmth about it of warmth and an awakening world the sun shone royally flinging the largesse of his golden light about with generous profusion as if to compensate by a sudden prodigality mortals beggared by a stripping winter the delicate pink stars of the almond blossom made the garden a glory of blushing pink and the bursting buds lent their soft tones of tender green to the luminous beauty of the spring colouring there was a great deal of animation in the neighbourhood of the culture college on that april afternoon 
the great gate stood open all the day and carriages and cabs kept driving up and depositing visitors at the portal a little crowd clustered about the door and stared at the arrivals and peered through the open gate into the mysterious region beyond and enjoyed itself very much as a gaping crowd always does inside the gates the culture college was all alive for the various guests who had been bidden to inspect the college on this the day of its first anniversary were wandering all over the building under the guidance of affable young collegians told off for that special duty when the guests had seen all that was to be seen and had thoroughly satisfied their thirst for knowledge on every particular of the working of the scheme they were conveyed into the great garden at the back where lady scardale received them and where there were tents at which tea awaited the thursday lady scardale stood in the centre of the garden surrounded by a little group of personal friends and received each new visitor or set of visitors graciously fidelia locke was here there and everywhere superintending explaining assisting one of the fair collegians came towards lady scardale she had a card in her hand and she explained to lady scardale that the owner of the card wanted a few moments private and urgent conversation lady scardale read the name mr gerald aspen embankment chambers villiers street strand and voyages club st james's square lady scardale had never heard the name before but of course all manner of unknown people were constantly calling on her and she never refused to see any one but the name of the voyagers club impressed her curiously in connection with fidelia's fears for her wandering father and something ominous became present to her mind did this gentleman she said to the girl in a low tone ask to see me in the first instance yes lady scardale he asked if miss locke were here and i told him she was and then he asked if he might see you he said he would rather see you first it is as i thought lady scardale said to herself then she turned to the little group around her and said i shall be back in a few minutes i hope and she followed the girl into the house and into her own study where gerald aspen was waiting for her lady scardale was absent rather longer than she expected to be she did not come back to the garden for more than a quarter of an hour and when she did come she did not return alone gerald aspen was by her side lady scardale looked very grave and sad and gerald looked grave and sad too he had just told lady scardale the strange story with which he had become acquainted that morning and lady scardale had decided that he himself had better tell it to fidelia lady scardale looked around for fidelia and saw her in a distant part of the garden talking to some of the visitors 
the garden was almost empty now for it was growing chill and most of the guests had gone indoors or departed wait here a moment lady scardale said to gerald who bowed silently then she walked rapidly across the grass to where fidelia was standing fidelia said lady scardale softly i want to speak to you the people to whom fidelia was talking said good-bye and shook hands and departed lady scardale and fidelia were left alone fidelia knew by lady scardale's manner that she had something serious to say and her heart began to beat quickly for she felt sure that it must be on the one subject which occupied her mind fidelia said lady scardale i have sad news i don't believe in trying to break the fall or soften the pain of such news she took fidelia's hands in hers and pressed them tenderly fidelia looked at her through eyes swimming in sudden tears my father she said he is dead yes dear said lady scardale he is dead how do you know there is a young man here lady scardale answered who has just told me his is a strange story altogether are you strong enough to hear it now or would you rather wait until some other time no no fidelia answered firmly i would rather hear it now lady scardale turned and made a sign to gerald he had stood where she left him watching them and wondering at the strange chance which had thrown him so suddenly into confidential relationship with the two women he had seen for the first time on the previous night he obeyed lady scardale's signal and joined the two women fidelia said lady scardale this is mr gerald aspen who has some sad and strange news for you mr aspen this is miss locke gerald bowed if the girl had looked beautiful last night smiling in the darkness she was more beautiful now in the clear evening light though her face was so intensely sad sit down fidelia while mr aspen tells you his story and lady scardale led fidelia to a garden seat under an old elm there i will leave you for the present i shall be back again directly lady scardale moved away to take farewell of the last departing guests fidelia looked up at gerald tell me about my father she said looking down at her gerald told her all the strange story the fairy tale which he had learnt that day from the pocket-book and which so mysteriously brought together her name and his he told her of the murder of seth chickering of her father's death and his father's death and of the fortunes that were so strangely bequeathed to her and to him she hardly listened to the few words in which he told that part of the story 
I knew my father was dead. She rose and stood, white and rigid as a statue. Need I tell you how much I feel for you, Miss Locke? Sir, I feel for you, Fidelia said, with her eyes swimming in tears. If I have lost a father, you have lost a father too. She held out her hand in simple, girlish sympathy. Gerald took it for a moment in his. He would gladly have raised it to his lips in the graceful fashion of another time, but he shrank from the semblance of making too free with the girl in her distress. He saw that she was shaken to the very centre of her life. He gently pressed her hand, and then withdrew his own. Her suffering sanctified her in his eyes. Even modern journalism by no means takes the chivalry out of a man. He felt deeply for her, and it seemed to him a kind of hypocrisy to liken his sorrows to hers. He had known nothing of his father, who had indeed never been over much of a family man, and had left his son to do the battle of life on his own account. Was it not the father of the black prince who refused to send more troops to his son's aid, declaring it would be better for his son to win the battle entirely off his own bat? Perhaps this was the heroic view of his paternal duty taken by Mr. Aspen Senior also. Anyhow, he left his son to make the best battle he could, unencumbered by any help from a father's hand. It may have been a well-meant and even heroic policy, but it is certainly not the sort of policy which is likely to endear a father to his son. So Gerald did not believe in his inmost heart that he felt the loss of his father as Miss Locke felt the loss of hers. Therefore, her words of sympathetic companionship made him feel almost ashamed. "'I knew very little of my father,' he said frankly, not without an effort, for it seemed like a censure to the memory of the dead. "'My father was always with me while we were at home,' Fidelia said. "'I adored him. Well, I must pray to God,' to give me strength. You have not told me yet, Mr. Aspen, she had got his name already, what he, her voice choked, what he died of. Can you have courage, Miss Locke? the young man asked, in tones as tremulous and with cheek as blanched as if he himself had done the deed it was now his cruel duty to announce. I have to tell you the worst. She shook her head. The worst was told, she said, when I learned that my father is dead, that he will never, never come home to me any more. Nothing to be told after that can affect my courage or my power of endurance. Yet it is horrible to have to tell you. Miss Locke, your father was killed. Stop, I said killed, not murdered. She had involuntarily given vent to a little scream, and put up her hands nervously before her face, as if to ward off the wings of some odious calamity 
that was coming to beat her down her father was killed there was no need for him to die no disease had caught hold of him no inevitable fate had stricken him down he might have lived and someone had killed him now she felt that she had not exhausted her limits of suffering even when she heard of her father's death it was added horror and horror unspeakable to think that some brutal hand had killed him an english girl thinks of death even to those she loves most fondly as some unavoidable fate coming gently on the victim in the sweet quiet stilled presence of those who watch in devotion and grief around the deathbed she does not think of a death by violence a death by some cruel human hand which might have spared and did not a death by violence with blows and a hideous wound a death desecrated a life cut off in the wantonness of brutal enmity and hatred oh this is too terrible she murmured i never thought of that then she said with something positively fierce in her tone and the look of her gleaming eyes tell me mr aspen and don't spare me please tell me who murdered my father i have not said that he was murdered i dare not say that yet i hope and believe it was not so he was murdered she exclaimed he was gentle he was kind he was only too tender-hearted he could not have been killed unless by an accident or by murder 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 was it an accident you do not try to deceive me by pretending that it was it was not an accident miss locke it was in a quarrel i believe my father never quarrelled he was too noble and generous and gentle do you think i do not know my father he was murdered now tell me who murdered him in all his embarrassment and pain gerald could not help feeling an almost impassioned admiration for the girl who stood now in so brave and splendid an attitude of resolve she appeared to have suddenly changed her nature she was strong bold resolute filled with the temper of set purpose and it is to be feared the spirit of vengeance let us sit down mr aspen she said now tell me all about it gerald told her all that he knew she flinched from nothing and neither did he now he gave her all the reasons all the hopes he could for the belief that captain locke had been killed in one of the fights so common in that region the girl listened quietly then she began to ask him many questions about the man who made such a strange and sudden appearance on the scene of the murder the man who called himself randolph or rather rat gundy something about him haunts me she said i can't make it out but there is something which makes me turn cold when i hear of him 
had he nothing to do with the murder do you think the murder in st james's street yes you won't admit as yet that there was any other murder that my father was murdered what a change a few moments had made in her she talked now calmly coldly of her father's death everyone says there was no evidence of the remotest kind against this man this stranger except the fact that he was found beside the dead body but indeed it is not quite fair to him to say he was found there it was he who gave the alarm and summoned the police is that his real name do you think no i am sure it is not a man seldom goes by a real name out in those places i want to see that man she said i want to know him will you help me i will help you in every way i can i will do anything to help you but i do not understand why you should want to see that man for one thing mr aspin because he is the only man now in england who knows anything of all this story i mean from personal knowledge he must be able to tell me something about-about my father and i should like to see him face to face i should know better what to think if i had seen him of course gerald said hesitatingly i will do all i can will you help me to see this man he was a little surprised at her eagerness but he only answered oh yes if i can if you can why are you not involved in the whole story as well as i is not your father dead out there as well as mine can't you go and see him and talk to him would not that be the natural thing to do it would certainly gerald said i must see him in any case and of course if you wish to see him it shall be made easy for you thank you very much she said with suddenly down-dropped eyes why had gerald rather evaded her wish to see this extraordinary mr red gundy partly perhaps out of a natural and manly reluctance to see that bright pure creature brought into any manner of relationship with such a cosmopolitan adventurer as the so-called rat gundy gerald had met rat gundy in scotland yard gerald had very chivalrous almost quixotic notions about women and the fittingness of their segregation from all that was tainted and rowdy in manhood notions for which be it observed womanhood in general would not perhaps always thank him and then too deep down in the depths of his heart was a jealous feeling that gundy was a very handsome dashing daredevil sort of fellow who had a winning voice a bright smile and a voluble tongue and that it was quite possible to fancy that a girl might be charmed by him gerald had spoken to miss locke for the first time in his life he had not been talking to her for much more than a quarter of an hour and already in truly masculine fashion 
he began to dislike instinctively the idea of other men coming near her for he said to himself destiny must have had some purpose in bringing us so strangely together one word he said as he was going and after they had arranged that he was to see her or to communicate with her again on this wholly sad subject you know that you are now rich at least that a great sum of money is coming to you and will be yours next january yes you have made that clear to me thank you ever so much i am so glad so delighted so enchanted her eyes sparkled with a curious flashing light of triumph gerald was surprised is she then like many others like all the rest he asked himself can she too be consoled for any loss by a compensation in money you are glad he stammered oh well and naturally of course i suppose every one must be glad to get money naturally of course she repeated if one wants to do something every one says that nothing can be done without money very well i will use that money to find out all about my father's death and to bring his murder to justice i will go out to those diamond fields myself if it be necessary but it will not i know it will not i shall spend my money here my money and all i own to my last gown to my health to my life all all shall be given up from this moment to the task of finding out my father's murderer she took leave of gerald with a sort of patronizing air there was something stately and serene about her she sent him away with kindly superiority as an exiled princess might have done when he first came within sight of her not very many minutes ago she had seemed to him only a beautiful delicate girl whom a stroke of sad news might have borne to the earth like a tall swaying flower under a sharp and sudden hailstorm now she seemed self-contained strong and stately able to stand upright and alone against any shock her resolve sustained her her purpose had made her strong she was a woman orestes she had to find out the truth about a parent's death and bring the slayer to justice gerald aspen had a good deal to think about as he sat in the little niche of the voyagers club that night the whole aspect of life had undergone a change for him too as well as for her End of chapter nine